Welcome to PropTech Espresso. My name is Mark Hurst, a former investment banker and serial startup junkie turned real estate technologist. On each 15 to 20 minute episode, you'll hear from leading entrepreneurs and industry experts on the opportunities and challenges for the rapidly changing PropTech sector. Thanks for listening today. Grab your favorite beverage and let's learn something new. My guests today are Abby Ivory, Managing Director of Ivory Innovations and Jenna Louie, Director of Strategy and Operations at Ivory Innovations. Ivory Innovations is an applied academic institution and foundation dedicated to catalyzing innovative solutions in affordable housing. Abba and Jenna, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Mark, for having us. We're really happy to be here. Awesome. Well, I'm excited about our, our conversations to, today um, and to uh, kind of talk about uh, a wide range of topics. But, um, you know, I'd love to get some of your, your background, and I don't think I can eloquently and succinctly uh, provide that. So I'd love if, Abby, if you can kind of take the lead here and kind of give us your pre-Ivory innovation work. And then, Jenna, if you can follow up kind of with what your background was prior to Ivory Innovations. Absolutely. Um, so I, prior to Ivory Innovations, I actually spent most of my time working um, in impact investing. And my initial entry into impact investing actually came through some work with Dave Chen at Equilibrium Capital, which is a firm up in Portland, and uh, a lot of research done on green bonds. And I got really excited about green bonds and the potential that um, you know we had to change a lot of different things uh, by moving uh, the socially oriented money into the market. Um, and then got really interested in impact investing and ended up working at a group called Sorensen Impact Center for a few years. Um, and from there, kind of have pivoted into my favorite cause of, I guess, like social cause, which would be housing and uh, all the work that we're doing at Ivory Innovations. So that's a little bit on my background. Awesome. Yeah. And uh, this is Jenna, happy to jump in. So um, before coming to Ivory Innovations, I had a background in corporate strategy um, and diversity and inclusion. And during business school, I took a step back from you know, as as many do when going back to school, trying to evaluate your career. And I thought, uh, similar to Abby, you know, of the social issues uh, of our day, that housing is one of the most present and one of the most visible. And so, um, you know, really looking for ways to uh, celebrate organizations and elevate organizations that are working on innovative solutions in the space. And so my role as uh, Director of Strategy and Operations is really to help the organizations that we identify. And I know some of them we're going to talk about today but to help them scale and grow and do our best to you know, lift them up, um, even as they're doing great work, how can we help them move that farther and faster? Excellent. Well, before we hear about the amazing companies comprising this year's finalists for the Ivory Prize, I'd love to, if uh, Abby, perhaps if you can share kind of the, the history of Ivory Innovations, its mission and programs, and, and then also talk about uh, how the Ivory Prize specifically supports this vision. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we started Ivory Innovations about four and a half, maybe almost five years ago now, which is crazy to think. Um, and initially it kind of came out of um, a few different things. My dad actually runs the largest home building company in Utah, and uh, that's where we're based. Uh, we're actually based out of the University of Utah. And um, he had come to me as I was spending a lot of time in East Africa and said, you know, you're working on supply chain in East Africa and, uh, you know, all these different uh, social issues, but why don't we think about housing in the United States? And so I worked with him and we took some time to work through this issue, how we could potentially help 
um, everything here. Initially, I think we thought we'd come in and invest. And then it kind of became something much larger than that as we realized, you know, the depth of this issue and um, how many different factors <laughs> are involved uh, if we actually want to solve this, specifically public policy and regulatory reform being something that we came to understand is a big thing to change um, if we want to actually have a large impact on the space. And so how do we help push innovation within housing overall, but how do we help push innovation that drives affordability? And to do that, I really think you need um, some changes in the policy side of things. And so um, as we thought through it, you know, we ended up coming up with the structure for the ivory prize, which has been awesome because it allows us to look at uh, for-profit companies, nonprofit companies, government entities, everything um, comprehensively and think through how do these things play together? Like a place can benefit from what? How do we scale these different things? Um, when we're looking across the country, we're learning a lot of things from, you know, someone in a small town in Montana might be doing something that can be applied in Salt Lake City, might, you know, could be applied in Austin, Texas. Um, and so it's really fun to learn and kind of start connecting. And so that ended up becoming our role um, because we are based at the University of Utah. There's a lot of um, student programming that also comes in here. And we believe strongly that we need to educate the next generation on, you know, housing in general, like this issue of housing affordability. But then um, we want to push them to become change makers in this space. And so um, we actually run a program called Hack a House, which is like a 24 hour brainstorming challenge. It's super fun. Um, for students across the country, they can participate at the same time. They can come up with their own solution. And then we're working with them to like take these awesome ideas and actually start implementing them as well. So we want to make sure that, you know, we're creating and we're coming up with amazing ideas, but we're also actively implementing these ideas. We're helping these companies that we work with provide, uh, you know, help, help them gain the things that they need to actually you know, move forward to scale, to grow. And Jenna does a lot of work with that too. So Jenna, if there's anything you want to add. Yeah. One thing that I love about our ivory prize process is um, just as Abby mentioned, how broad it allows us to get. And so we're generally looking across three categories, construction and design, finance and policy and regulatory reform. And within each of those, we may be looking at 50 or 60 different groups every year. And so taking a really broad net and ultimately what we do is narrow that down with the help of uh, a panel of judges, our advisory board, um, you know, experts in the field who have decades of experience and they're helping us to figure out, you know, what, what's most important, what's most innovative, what's really pushing the envelope. We know that there's a lot of focus on really the challenges and the issues in this industry and, and make no mistake, that's important. And we appreciate the research that so many people are doing to highlight that. But um, when Abby, you know, really got this started a few years ago, there wasn't as much focus on solutions, right? We can talk all day about the issues and the challenges, but, you know, our effort and, and the space that we hope to occupy in the industry is really, okay, well, knowing all of those things exist, knowing all of the issues, knowing all of the challenges and what we're up against, who's doing something new, who's pushing the envelope, who's young, who's hungry, um, who's got, a, you know, a new idea that might change the industry. And so that that really is the goal of the Ivory Prize is to surface those ideas. And then, uh, you know, as we're saying, try to help them scale and grow. Awesome. Now, one of my uh, things that I really um, enjoy about Ivory Innovation and the Ivory Prize is this uh, diverse kind of multidimensional way that you go about kind of the uh, 
attacking this this problem, which you know there are no single silver bullets for, and um, just kind of pure pure investment is is not the um, uh, the only part of the solution that's going to uh, affect affect change here, but um, kind of supporting um, existing new companies um, working on the policy and regulatory side, I think, is um, an, an extremely important part of um, making uh, progress on on this issue. So, thank you for all the work that you uh, and your teams do in this uh, this area. Uh, one thing that I, I wanted to just kind of throw out there is in, you know, you mentioned that um, Ivory Innovation has now been around for kind of four plus, four plus years. Um, uh, and I'm sure a flown, flown by as you were uh, uh, kind of uh, alluding to, Abby, can, what, what, what have you seen kind of change over the, that time that you've been um, kind of working, working on Ivory Innovation? Any, anything that kind of particularly jumps, jumps to mind and, and stands out? Um, I would say one thing that has changed a lot is, I mean, well, first of all, as you're going through every year and you're learning about these companies and the trends, I think initially when we were like, oh, this, we would go through something, we'd come up with an, or we'd see an amazing company and we think this is game changing, you know, this is whatever. And as we go through, I mean, we've really um, been able to hone in on, uh, you know, what we actually think is innovative because we can, we've seen so many things over the last four years. So for me, it's just like been a bit of a person perspective shift, I guess. Um, but then also I would say one thing that we really started focusing in on is like, where are these issues, where are the issues with scaling some of these companies? Um, and when we believe an idea is actually working or like a government policy is amazing and should be spread into other areas, how do we help these things move? And so I think that's been our biggest change is actually on the action side. So instead of just being someone who comes in and supports and says, you know, here's a prize. This is awesome. <laughs> you know, you do, you've done a really great job. We have started to move it to a space where it's like, okay, where do you need capital? Is fundraising your issue? Great. Like, let's help you find a match for that. Um, is, you know, do you need students to help run X consulting project? Do you need, what are your biggest barriers? And um, we actually started over this last year an operating foundation so that we can um, help with some of these construction solutions. Um, what we've seen over the years is that people get something going. They're really excited about it. It's cool. It's new. It's in the construction industry and nobody wants to grab it and take it because everyone gets so used to the, doing the things the same way that they've done things year over year, um, whether it's financing them the same way or building them the same way. And so because we do have access to Ivory Homes, which is my father's company, um, it's kind of a fun space to plan where we've been able to raise a bit of capital and um, help these companies start to gain a proof of concept um, with someone who'd be willing to test the these ideas in a bit more of a tangible way. And then hopefully, you know, if that if the ideas were amazing and they pick up and everything, I mean, we have like a quick way to scale that, right? Like if Ivory Homes builds 1,200 homes a year, this is an amazing thing. We love it. It's driving down costs. Like let's throw it in here, you know, like let's put this in 1200 homes or 300 homes or 400, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think that's kind of been something we've been working a lot on is like, how do we help some of these proof of concept, uh, or ideas kind of gain proof of concept and then get off the ground. Um, that's been in my mind, like the biggest change in the last couple of years. 
Yeah, no, I think um, sometimes it's really hard for um, to find that first customer for or, or to kind of move move really into that uh, proof of concept kind of jumping jumping the chasm um so having having a partner like um ivory homes that's willing to uh be be that uh, sandbox that that some of these companies can play in and really demonstrate success and uh then can take that out as a um a proof point to the to the larger audience and say like we've, we've done it here with 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 this um uh, very large and reputable organization, uh, you know, and and perhaps the 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 risk the risk is not so great for you now because it's already been proved, proven out here as is uh, un unique and something uh, again of of massive value to this uh, to this community that's looking to uh, address affordable housing. So um, great uh, great to to see the partnership there. Yeah. No, absolutely. Someone has to be the first one, right? Like yep. someone has to jump in and do it. And uh, I think it's a, a good way we can help with that. Awesome. Well, I'd love to um, hear about the, the, the finalists for, for this year, but um, as, as we're kind of talking about these, these companies, I think it would also uh, make sense to highlight some of the, the, the trends and observations that, that you're seeing that kind of emerge from, from the mass of, of applicants that come in and and are, are looking to participate um, in this. So, as as you're kind of weaving together the the list, if you can hit upon some of the some of the aspects that you're really seeing out out there and that are coming to the to the forefront. Absolutely, um, Jenna, do you want to hop in and start with some of these? Sure, happy to. Yeah, and one thing I would say, um, so, you know, this year, and you can find more about the top 10 on our website, ivory-innovations.org. Um, and we just released that, and we're so excited to be celebrating, again, these 10 ideas out of the many that we looked at this past year. Um, we have three finalists in our construction and design category, four finalists in our policy and regulatory reform category, and three finalists in finance. And of those, um, you know, it's, it's a really wide range. We've got everyone from a sort of new financial model for community land trusts uh, to someone building ADUs in Atlanta, all the way over to, um, you know, a, a sort of renter subsidy um, that's been really interesting to look at in Washington, D.C. So huge geographic diversity, also a, just a very wide wealth, and this is something that happens every year, of ideas that, you know, are pushing the industry in, in different places and in different ways. Um, maybe one thing that I'll start with as kind of a trend that we've seen this year is around partnerships. And so I know that we had just finished talking about how we're hoping to help scale organizations across the country, um, and particularly in Utah, when it comes to, you know, who, who are the partners that can really take this forward and help build proof of concept. Something been a bigger trust year, I think, than, than before is seeing organizations that are already taking that model and building it into their business. And so someone like, for example, Trust Neighborhoods, um, this is a group based out of Kansas City, Missouri, and they are taking a new way of looking at community land trusts um, and trying to bring in investor capital, patient investor capital. And so you're opening both a wider pool of funding and also um, you know, a, a wider availability of where you can go in the country because you can take less uh, or fewer rather grant fewer grant dollars and spread them farther and so that's one you know where they're partnered implicitly between private and public uh, or sort of private capital sources as well as 
sort of these local community organizations that are really um, helping to manage the units, you know, that have the on the ground experience. And so, you know, whether that, whether Eight Village is a group out of uh, Atlanta, the one that I mentioned around ADUs, and they're partnered with a community development corporation. And so this is one of the most successful groups we've seen working on ADUs. Of course, there are many, specifically in California, where, where I know you're based, um, you know, thinking about how do you help ADUs be part of the housing solution? And, and they're great. But, you know, I think in all of the time that Abby and I have spent diligencing um, that space, you know, it's, it's hard to find people who are scaling and who are doing it affordably. You kind of sometimes you get one or the other. Um, and Aid Village, we think, has a really has a really good model right, of partnering with, um, you know, a CDC and, and sort of local partners that have the land, um, that are financing the ADUs, um, that have renters already in their portfolio of, of people that they're working with, that have community connections and trust. And all that they were really needing was someone with an architecture background and sort of real estate development background to help them do some of that on the ground work. And so you're, we're seeing models really where you take an idea and you plug it into an ecosystem that is that is ready and able to deploy capital and people against that. Um, you know, and those are the kinds of ideas that we're really excited about because you can see them go again, farther and faster um, than someone who's standing up, you know, infrastructure from the ground, which, which can work absolutely. But, um, you know, in, in housing, sometimes when you find ideas that, that have that ability to scale that much faster, it's, it's really exciting because they're definitely not silver bullets, but sometimes you think, oh, that's a nice, it's a, it's a puzzle piece. <laughs> it fits in nicely. Um, Abby, I know there are a couple more um, partnership-based ones. Did you want to hop in? Um, yeah, I definitely think, you know, we, some of the partnerships that we've seen too are addressing another issue that we've seen as a large overlay um, with this year's prize uh, like top 10 group um, and, and generally the group that's come in actually. And so um, a group that I would mention specifically is called LA Room and Board. Uh, they're working a lot on partnerships with uh, the government actually in LA specifically um, and how do they help um, actually community college students that are facing or looking at um, homelessness? How do they help these students uh, become stable, get them into housing um, and keep this opportunity of education, right? So it's really hard to maintain your education if you're feeling like your housing unstable, you know, and you don't have, um, a, you're living out of your car. <laughs> and, um, but I've seen it's, it, that is an interesting piece working in a university as well. We've seen a lot of different students who have struggled, uh, with homelessness, but they're really pri prioritizing their education, um, and understanding that like, as they come through their education, they have the potential to earn more money or do, you know, whatever else then um, have prioritized that over housing. And so it's awesome to see, uh, we have, there's a fabulous entrepreneur down there named Sam Prater, and he is just really running with this issue. A lot of community colleges have empty um, uh, dorm units. And so he has kind of been matching, you know, these empty units uh, with these students who can get some government funding to help because they're looking at homelessness right now. I'm having trouble hearing <laughs> I watch. Um, but so, I mean, I think it's, that's been really interesting. And, and I also will say, I mean, the public, the partnerships thing has been huge this year. Um, but on top of that, you know, people have been addressing homelessness and this has been an issue that we've all seen. I mean, everyone sees this issue every day. Um, and it's something that we're looking at, how can we solve it? But I think this last year, people have become a little bit more serious on what are the programs that need to be put in place uh, to actually help change this? Uh, we've seen, we had a couple other come through, um, like Built for Zero was another homelessness focused company, and uh, they're trying to 
get homelessness down to zero, you know, they're building it. They, they don't want any homelessness. They're trying to eradicate homelessness in certain areas. They'll take a pocket at one time, like one specific area at one time, um, and really focus on that. And I think it's been interesting to see, um, that they've been somewhat successful in the areas that they've, you know, been in and they have received a decent amount of funding to continue to grow this program. And so this is a big issue that we need to attack. And it is, in my opinion, the most difficult issue within the housing world because it is so complex. Um, The number Mm -hmm. of different groups facing this is crazy. And so we usually, we usually end up focusing on, um, you know, we look at homelessness, but we end up focusing on how do we help people attain housing? How do we help, you know, with housing affordability and um, is a little bit broader of a space, but this year we've definitely seen a big uptick in how do we address homelessness on a more comprehensive level. And one company, um, or rather, I suppose, policy that I would mention there is DC Flex. And so this is a really interesting program out of um, out of Washington, DC, where it's not explicitly targeted at homelessness or unhoused populations, but rather going slightly up the funnel. And so people who are very housing insecure, who are spending a huge portion of you know their monthly income on rent, but they're not they're not quite homeless. They're not quite. They haven't been evicted, you know, but they're, but they're just on the edge. And so DC piloted uh, this program, actually, I think four or five years ago, um, and they have some of the results coming out this year, which has been really great to see, where they're giving um, what equates to about half of a monthly voucher to families directly. And so we saw a lot of policies, you know, during COVID, right? How can we give uh, rent relief to landlords and whatnot? And this program, one, predates COVID, um, but two, also is really focused on renters and giving them the agency to manage their money. And so, you know, in effect, what it's doing and the results that um, that they've seen so far is that it's preventing uh, not necessarily homelessness, but it's preventing people from uh, using those supportive services that are actually really expensive for a city to provide. So D.C. has a rapid rehousing service, um, you know, when you, when you do fall into trouble and they saw a 29 percent decrease um, in the number of families from this pilot program of 125 using um, those services. And so it's helping people to stay in housing even before they're unhoused. And so, you know, looking for ideas that are not only, you know, LA Room and Board deploying um, empty rooms or even empty rooms, you know, from private organizations that are near campuses um, to help meet community college students' needs. You also see something like DC Flex that's slightly up the, up the funnel, right? You're not yet homeless, but um, you you could be. It's very close. And how do you kind of nip that in the bud and and be more flexible um, ahead of time? One other of our uh, top ten finalists this year, also in the policy side, so maybe it's a good time to mention them, is the Cambridge um, Affordable Housing Overlay Program. And this is something that you know I imagine many listeners have seen. Um, it was passed a couple of years ago, but you know adding an affordable housing overlay uh, of buy right housing to the city of Cambridge for units that are sorry for developments that are 100% affordable. Um, you know, and that's one that uh, we haven't seen implemented in many places in the country. Um, you know, and and it would look different for every place that, that chooses to do it. But they've had a lot of success in Cambridge and really have started a conversation uh, with city officials and sort of that larger region around, you know, if we're going to incentivize affordable housing, right? Why, why can't we do it in a big way? Why can't we do something like this that really pushes the envelope and says, you know, inclusionary zoning is fantastic, but an overlay like this, you know, it, it gets the conversation started and it allows uh, nonprofit developers really to compete 
in ways that they would not have been able to previously um, when you're competing with market rate or when you're competing with, you know, just a smidgen of your units that are being held with LIHTC funding. And so the, the AHO is um, a really great program and one that uh, we're excited to, you know, have in our finalists this year. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think, you know, just understanding zoning has been a big thing that's come through this year as well as it being another theme because zoning plays such a huge role in, in yep. how <laughs> Mark knows all this. <laughs> yeah, I think it's it's interesting you bring, I think it, it's kind of the, the crux of so many, uh, the potential and also kind of the, the friction that exists in, in many of these issues kind of comes down to to zoning and and it's great to see that there's focus and kind of uh, desire to improve this this process. And again, it's complex and it's different at with and within every municipality. So it's really hard to to scale a solution when there's when when it's the the flavor is different in in every jurisdiction that you go to. Absolutely. And something that we saw this year is like mapping being a way uh, for people to kind of help. I guess alleviate some of the mystery behind zoning. Um, so there's been there have been quite a few different mapping tools that have been released. Um, this kind of started a couple years ago, but this year we we saw quite a few um, where they're helping people understand specifically the zoning, specifically for affordable housing, uh, what goes into this, um, and some people have absolutely taken goal of like this is education. We help everyone who is in the broader community understand why something is zoned the way that it's zoned, uh, what will actually happen if this development is built. Um, you know, here's a walkthrough so that there's a kind of less public pushback as uh, affordable housing units are starting to be built in that area or something like that. Um, we've seen a couple of companies come through. Profermap um, is really interesting. Uh, they're based in California. I think a lot of these are California based uh, with the zoning specific issues. Um, but it's really, it's really interesting to watch um, this come up and become automated and the information become way more publicly available than it has been in the past. And I hope that it makes an impact on, you know, the people in those communities, like allowing for this housing to be built because it's really hard. Change is hard. Change is so hard for people. You know, their community has been the same way forever. They have a vision of what they want their community to be. Um, A lot of times affordability doesn't play a big role in that um, until it comes down to thinking about like, your kid, can your kid afford to build a house in the same area where you live or live in a, an apartment even, you know? And so I think, you know, hopefully with this uh, push on mapping and like automation and everything else in the, that side of things that we're able to gain a little bit more transparency and uh, help people really start to see the benefits of putting this kind of housing into their communities, you know? So I think that's interesting. Yeah, I think, uh, and, and kind of you you phrased it in an interesting way because I think there's there's a lot of pushback because I think people have uh, connotations associated with um, affordable housing, but then when you start to when it becomes personal, anything about your your kid, it, it completely can change the 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 conversation. So I think as people begin to understand uh, the dynamics of this and and some of the the negativity that's associated with these concepts that um, you know are uh, probably not not grounded in kind of the 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 real the reality of the situation and that it is much more um, extensive of 
of an issue, then people fully realize that, uh, that hopefully they'll start to let go of some of that nimbyism and, and kind of al allow some of these um, uh, affordable, ho affordable housing solutions to take place in their, their, uh, in their communities. Absolutely. I think people have like a picture in their head of who's moving in affordable housing and it's usually not their kid or the barista who's working at, you know, when they're going to pick up their coffee or like someone who they're seeing on a regular basis. It's like they have these kind of more far-fetched ideas of what exactly. comes in there. And so if you can help tie it back to what the reality of it is, I'm hoping that that helps eventually. <laughs> yep. Um, but speaking of vocations, we can go into something else. There's a, my, one of my favorite themes that came through this year was a trade education theme here. So I think this is something that's huge, um, in terms of housing affordability overall. And something we've seen as a major issue over the last few years is like, we just have lost the talent in the trades industry. We have, you know, seen, you know, such a decline here and, uh, the population of people who are in the trades, they're aging and how do we help you know, bring young people into this is what's the way out of this. And so there's a couple of things that you see. One would be like automation, which includes modular construction. And that's what we've seen. You know, we see a lot of different people doing that this year. We have a company in Southern California called Connect Homes that, you know, they're building some of these modular units. And then also a larger company out of uh, Philadelphia called the uh, Volumetric Building Companies. That's like a fully integrated um, solution that's building offsite you know, modular housing and they're able to kind of push it and they've got a real affordable overlay, which is exciting. Um, but I think, you know, do we, is automation the way that we help, um, you know, continue affordability as we're, we're building um, or is trade education, are we bringing more people into this industry? Right. And so that's the other side that we've seen this last year is a lot of groups starting, you know, trade ed education schools, um, there's a group called Build Up that's doing this very specifically. You know, they're like they've built their own trade education school. They're helping grow this. It's a very community focused thing where they're, you know, the students build housing, then they can move into this housing and um, and they can live there. And then there's like HBI, the Home Builders Institute, that's kind of like taking a larger approach to curriculum and getting in a lot of different schools. Um, we've seen a lot of people looking at this, and I think you know, I think there's a couple of ways we can really tackle this, but this is one of the biggest uh, issue areas. And I would definitely say our judges, as they went through this, I mean, put a massive emphasis on how do we address the labor problem? Yeah, this one I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by because just because it's, um, you know, it is such a constraint on, on solving the large, the larger problem, right? If you, there aren't people building houses, then you're never going to get um, places for people to to move move into and increase the the, the supply that's that's out there. And um, you know, I think you know, in in an age that that has historically placed a, a, a kind of a, a premium on kind of tech jobs, this you know these these trade jobs have have kind of become kind of been pushed into the in, into the into the background, but um, I think, and uh, one exciting thing is like the, the 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 trade jobs are getting more more technical. So this notion of 
you know, the, the opportunity to apply tech in, in these trades, I think has gone up. So I think there's, there's an awareness that, that hopefully starts to become uh, um, apparent to people that like these, these jobs are um, provide, provide other um, opportunities for, for, for learning and, and application of, of technology. And um, I think also as, as we're probably um, in the, in the kind of the mix of seeing how education um, as a whole is is changing. You know, you're seeing Google and other institutions uh, creating certifications to replace um, the traditional kind of four-year degrees. So um, hopefully something similar to those sorts of programs um, uh, become uh, more well-known around, around the trade so that uh, people can uh, go into these areas and make really great livings. I think that that's an, another thing that's not really appreciated about the trades is that the um, the the kind of the the income level that you can earn here is is actually fairly substantial. And obviously, in, in the supply and demand driven um, uh, economy, like the the opportunity is is there. So increasing awareness and and kind of uh, aware around the opportunity hopefully will um, start to uh, uh, make this as as a as an attractive as, as career as as it can be for so many people. Yeah, that's such a good point. And there's, um, oh, sorry, Abby, did you want to just go go go? I can talk about trade <laughs> No, I was going to say that that's so real. Um, you know, finding ways is it a, is it a marketing issue? You know, is it an availability issue? Is it um, you know kind of a generational shift and people wanting to you know work behind a desk as opposed to out in the field and and whatever it might be. A lot of the organizations that we've talked to are are hitting different pieces of that, you know, whether it's build up with their academy um, over in Birmingham, whether it's HBI, you know, who's doing this kind of nationally and, and really trying to get curriculum out there and available. But I think one thing, Mark, that you mentioned around, um, you know, just just making sure that people know, I think it's it's hard to miss the diversity kind of angle and in, in diversity and inclusion conversation as you talk about trades um, and bringing more people into the fold. And actually, another of our finalists um, is doing that in the appraisal space. And so I know that this is an area that's gotten a lot of press over the last few years. And of course, I'm I'm sure so many listeners have heard, right, you know, uh, families that, um, you know, present as Black and they are um, getting their homes valued uh, for significantly less um, when appraisers come and, you know, if they, they change everything out, um, you know, appraisers come back and they're valued at significantly higher um at, at higher values, right? And and how awful that is. And, you know, President Biden is um, talking about how we can fix this and HUD is talking about it. And so one organization, um, True Footage, is really trying to change that uh, by changing who becomes an appraiser in the first place, right? So how can you get more diverse people um, into the industry? I think, um, Abby, you may know the stat, but, you know, it's a vast majority of, of appraisers are sort of older white men. Um, and, you know, how does that, there are no silver bullets, right? Just because you make a field more diverse doesn't mean that you can change unconscious bias, but um, it could certainly be a start. And so whether an organization like True Footage that is taking, you know, both a tech and a sort of a people approach really to this issue, um, we think that's one area that we'd love to see, you know, more work in. And, and for anyone who's out there who's thinking about <laughs> these issues and who's thinking about creating solutions, right, you know, there's no shortage of opportunities to hit housing, um, you know, across these different pieces. Is it construction and design? Is it getting people into homes? Is it helping us build more homes through policy? You know, is it financing and helping people really find a place and a way, um, you know, to live happily? Um, 
I would say one area too, just thinking about kind of racial equity and diversity um, is a fund that we've looked at and um, that's also one of our finalists called Black Star Stability. And so they're really working on homes that are valued at uh, much less than the average. And so typically $70,000 or less. Um, and there's a sort of a predatory financial product called Contract for Deeds or Contracts for Deeds rather um, that they often fall into. Abby, did you want to talk more about this one? I think that, yeah, absolutely. I mean, Black Star Stability is amazing. Um, they have, uh, and and Mark, do you know, I, I feel like you may know Black Star pretty well. I've, I've heard the, I've heard the name. I've heard, um, uh, you know. Michelle, maybe. Yeah, exactly. I think that that's the, the connection. <laughs> we work really closer with, closely with the Turner Labs and uh, Mark also works with them. Um, but I mean, I think Black Star's done some really incredible things in terms of like, you know, making um, strides to make housing more equitable, especially like removing some of these huge predatory um, uh, loans that have come out. I mean, a contract for deed is wild, <laughs> like how potentially predatory this could be um, for people. And I think, um, you know, as we have seen financial products expand, we've really seen, you know, people come into the shared equity space where we've seen people um, work on a problem like this. And one thing that's very interesting to me is that there's such a mistrust in this space. Like it's really hard to gain a community's trust, um, specifically just because the history of these companies, like that has been so predatory. And so I think, you know, if we are able to have companies like Blackstar come in and like reinstill confidence in the fact that everyone's not out to get you, you know what I mean? People aren't trying to take advantage of you because you're in a bad situation and you need, you maybe need something else. And so, um, you know, financially, I think it's huge um, to have someone like Blackstar or some of the other companies we've seen really um, try to help change the stigma that's there. Um, but it is, it's a hard one to change, but these guys are doing a good work and, uh, and hopefully it'll all move forward really well. So we're excited to see them. And then I think we have one last company we haven't mentioned, and it's um, a group called Forterra and they're up in Washington and they do a lot um, they've been around for a minute. They do some amazing stuff. So they focused a lot on sustainability, um, which is again, another theme that we see and we need to continue to see, right. As um, you know, our world <laughs> changes. I mean, we just need uh, more sustainable and affordable solutions. And that's a really hard combination, the sustainability uh, coupled with affordability. Um, but these guys are working on some, some products uh, specifically related to cross-laminated timber, if you're familiar with that. Um, and then they do a lot uh, with um, working with like indigenous groups up in Washington and like, how do we house um, these people and, and do other things. And I, and we really have thought their efforts are amazing. One thing I love about Forterra is that holistic approach. And I think, you know, as we one thing we're trying to build at Ivory Innovations is an ecosystem, right? And I know, Mark, that this is something that, that you're trying to do as well. And, and so many people in this space is, how do you find an ecosystem of players that can support one another? And Forterra kind of uniquely is doing that within their own business. And so, you know, for the tribal communities where a lot of this lumber for their cross-laminated timber is coming from, where these trees are, how can you give back, Right as you're as you're taking um, you know sustainably natural resources um, that these tribes own right that that is its own source of of funding and capital you know for these groups but um, why not put housing into those communities as well with the trees that come you know from that land and so um, 
you know, we, we wouldn't do it justice here <laughs> in just a few short minutes to talk about that. But I think one, maybe one thing as we finish is just thinking about, you know, what is that ecosystem and how can we help more organizations that are working in housing and working in housing innovation, think holistically like that, right? Of the communities that you're working with and for, how does how does your innovation give back? And then how does that help scale, right? So how could other organizations across the country learn from what Fortier is doing in the Pacific Northwest? They've already, I think, piloted something in the Baltimore area um, with enterprise uh, community partners, right? And so how do we take these ideas and help them move to other parts of the country and version them and, and help them, again, be that holistic focus on, right, who are all the different players how can we, you know, lift everyone up, um, even as we offer housing, you know, to a, a larger source of people, a larger group of people? Yeah, it's an interesting, like the the, the notion of kind of um, not more than a playbook. It's kind of like the the IP or the business models that are being developed mm-hmm. here, and how do you and how do you kind of share that so that people can um, utilize it in in their unique environments and and uh, apply apply it and see if they can make it. Uh, work in in those areas so um love love that that concept and and uh uh certainly got my my brain cranking there on on kind of this this notion of sharing sharing in a in a in a different in a different um context than perhaps been traditionally kind of thought about um in in this area so i i i uh i will jot down some notes and 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 circle (laughs) back with with you two um on that on that specifically but um you know this is a truly a remarkable group of of companies that that have been selected among what I can imagine have been a, a difficult process from all of the great companies that that applied to the Ivory Prize this this year, um, and, and also deserving of, of the recognition that they're they're going to get. Um, in terms of a timeline, like what what is the uh, you know we've got the, the 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 ten finalists and and kind of um, when when uh, when will the kind of the winners be announced and what other sort of programming is there around um, Ivory Prize that we can look forward to. Our winners are going to be announced on May 19th, and we're super excited to share them with everyone. And we will run um, a webinar. (laughs) Um, And the webinar will be about 45 minutes long at 10 a.m. Mountain Time on May 19th, um, where we'll show the winners and we'll have um, everyone talk through that. The winners will talk a little bit about what they're doing specifically. And that's kind of our next step in programming. Um, But then also, we are planning to have an event with all of our top 10 companies for um, anyone who is interested in in the DC area. Um, we're working with the Urban Institute and we'll have something, I think it's on November 17th, um, 18th, 16th, sorry. We'll be running an event November 16th. In 15th. 15th. <laughs> um, November 15th in the in the DC area where we go and we'll be interviewing all the top 10 and anyone's invited to come in um, listen to what they have to say. And, and, and Lori Goodman from the urban Institute will be also providing a little bit of a, you know, some financial, um, you know, she'll be going through some of her research actually along with this. So it'll be fun. And one thing to note is that we um, open up uh, prize nominations, and it's crazy to think about right now, but we open up prize nominations in the fall. 
And so, you know, if you have ideas of organizations that you haven't heard us mention, or, you know, that, that fit our mission of catalyzing innovation and housing affordability, we're all ears. Um, you know, you can reach Abby and I. Um, our emails are listed on um, the Ivory Innovations website. Again, that's ivory-innovations.org. Um, it's also Abby at Ivory Innovations or Jenna at ivoryinnovations.org if you want to reach out directly. But, you know, we love making connections in this space. And I would say that's one thing. Um, you know, we really want to emphasize and, and also thank you, Mark, you know, for the work that you've done with some of our Ivory Prize finalists for the work you do to elevate companies in this space, um, you know, and for hosting us today. We um, we love to make connections. We would love to hear from you. Uh, we'd love to work with you. And uh, we're excited to push this forward. Awesome. Well, I've, I've certainly enjoyed um, all the conversations with the connections that uh, uh, you've you've provided over over the years. So uh, and excited to uh, get to know some of these other companies coming through the the program this year. Um, but unfortunately, with with that, we need to draw our conversation to today to an end. Uh, thank you both for sharing the your stories, the Ivory Innovation stories, and 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 certainly some of the background on uh, these really innovative companies coming through the Ivory Prize this this year. Um, again, you you've uh, uh, provided a, a means for for people to be able to to contact you, and, and hopefully we can have you back uh, for uh, for another episode in, in the future. I'd really love love that. Um, Thank you so much. Uh, again, look forward to the uh, the upcoming uh, finalist announcements, um, the uh, the the event in in DC later on this this year, and uh, excited to uh, work with the the both of you going forward. Thanks so much. All right, take care. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to an episode of PropTech Espresso. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more, visit herstex.com backslash podcast. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back soon with a new episode.